This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. Spiritually speaking, there is nothing, Solomon said, nothing new under the sun. Truth is truth and it always has been. Lies are lies and they always have been. Liberal Christian thought today wants a morphing, shape-shifting, build-your-own-Jesus who adapts his truth to the prevailing thoughts and philosophies of the current culture. Do you believe that God's way is the best way? In today's message, Pastor Josh will show you that living the better way means accepting and living by God's absolute truths. Our culture today doesn't like the idea of absolute unchanging truth, but rather prefers to try to make its own truth. In a world that's constantly changing, God says that His truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you live by what Scripture says? Or do you try to bend Scripture to support what you say? Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 as he continues his message, Continue in a Better Way. that no matter what you don't have, you still have the one thing that you need. And that is the very presence of God in your life. I tell you, the people with everything the world has to offer, but they are without God and without hope in this world, you are extensively more wealthy than they are. Simply by the fact that you have the presence of God with you, you have his promises with you. Always remember that the greatest weapon against discontentment is to remember that Jesus is enough. It's the greatest weapon against discontentment that, to remember that Jesus is enough. So his presence is enough. But notice number two, that we are to remember that the Lord's provision is enough. Again, he quotes that psalm, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. God's provision is enough. I think many people waste much of their lives away in worry and anxiety trying to get things that the Lord hasn't seen fit to give them. Now, don't hear me wrong. I am not saying using God's provision as an excuse to be lazy, as an excuse to shirk your responsibility of providing for your family, or to be unwise with your finances. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is that be faithful and diligent in what God has called you to do. Be wise in how you invest. Be faithful in how you give. And then be content with what God supplies you. There's a good possibility that if you don't have that thing you really want, it's because God knows it's best that you don't have it. That very thing that you're longing to get might be the very thing that destroys you or that keeps you from some better plan that God has for you or that lessens your dependency on the Lord. It's been in some of the moments of greatest need where I've looked up to heaven and God, I don't know how I'm going to do all this, Lord, where it's been the most enriching experience to be reminded that my life needs to be in a place of dependency on God. God doesn't want our lives to be in a place where our peace and our security comes from what's in our bank account or what's on our property, or what's in our garage, or what's on our calendar. 
If your peace and security is rooted and anchored in those things, you will lose it. It will be shaken. But if it's anchored in Christ, nothing can move you. Paul put it like this in Romans 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? So God's presence is enough. God's provision is enough. Number three, God's protection is enough. Notice he ends that verse by saying, I will not fear what can man do to me. Eight times in the Psalms, David refers to God as his defense. Over 40 times in the Psalms, David refers to God as his helper. David knew it is foolish to trust in man, but those who trust in the Lord shall be safe. When I think of this principle, and he says, I will not fear for what can man do to me, what it tells me is that most people's fears come from a place of being concerned about how they're going to be affected by outside forces. Most people are afraid, what's going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen with politics? What's going to happen with my family? What's going to happen? Who's going to take my freedom? Who's going to steal my joy? Who's... And they live in fear. What's COVID going to do to me? And what disease am I going to get? And they're, they just, they're wrapped up in the self-preserving mode. And the Bible says, when you are content with Christ, there is no fear of man in your heart. Because God is for you. God is your defender. God is your helper. You will be motivated to actually have courage in the face of fear when you know that God is the one who holds your days, who protects your body, who provides for your needs. You will step out and do things that you thought were crazy. You'll go places you never thought you'd go. You'll talk to people you never thought you'd talk to. You'll invest and give in ways that you never thought you'd be generous. Why? Because your hope and your trust is in the Lord. Now, I tell you, if there's been one who's proven himself faithful since the beginning of time, it is not man, it is God. So the Lord's protection is enough. And sometimes I find it ironic, that question, what can man do to me? Paul saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? And my human reaction to that question is like, well, I can think of about 500,000 things. I mean, they can take my stuff, they can take my money, they could even take my life, they could put me in prison, they could beat me up, they can make fun of me, you know. If God is for me, who can be against me? Everyone. Which tells us really clearly that that's not what he's saying. What can man do to me that could take away what God has already done for me? That's the question. And that's nothing. No height, no depth, no angels, nor demons nor principalities, no powers. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You have something that no one can take from you. And that is your hope. That is my hope. That's what gives us courage in the face of fear. So what? They take my life. They can't take my soul. They can't take my eternity. They can't steal my peace. They're not going to rob me of my joy. They're not going to keep me from being used by God for his kingdom. Those are things this world does not have. So to learn contentment means really to realize that what we have in Christ is better than anything we could want on this earth. And to be content with what we have gives us a lot of freedom 
a lot of freedom, and it saves us from a lot of anxiety and a lot of pain and worry. So work to continue in contentment. And then the next encouragement here in verses 7 through 9 is that to continue in the better way, we are to continue in the truth. We are to continue in the truth. Verse 7, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So he says to be careful not to walk and be led astray by all these various and strange doctrines out there that are trying to keep you away from the grace of God. And he does this again in three ways. How do we walk in the truth? Number one is that we walk in good doctrine by remembering those who teach us sound doctrine, and who live it out as an example. You know, it's easy for us, he says here, to remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, who follow considering the outcome of their conduct. It's easy for us to take for granted the benefit of having trustworthy Bible teachers. And I kind of tremble when I say that because I hope to strive to be one of those, faithful to the word of God. But I think that the fruit of teaching in a person's life is often slow-grown. It's a crop that doesn't appear overnight. Therefore, it's easy to not appreciate the small lessons we learn from week to week. But over the long haul, good Bible teaching coming from leaders who are living out their faith in a way of integrity, absorbed into your life, produces good fruit in your life. And Paul wants us to remember to be thankful for those who teach us the principles of God and feed us the meat of his word. I'm grateful as I think about the many pastors in my life who have faithfully taught me. I know that I covet to be someone who is worthy of your prayers. You know, a pastor is a person. And more than they need any praise, they need the prayer of the people that they're teaching. And more than they need anyone saying, That's a great sermon, as encouraging as that is for me. Oh boy, should I say this? More than I need your affirmation of my sermon, we need your obedience to the sermon. We need you to take God's implanted word and live it outside of the four walls of this church. Me too. You know, I I tell people, you know, I get the, Josh, that was so convicting. You know, someone told me this, Josh, you keep stepping on my toes every week, you know. And it was in a positive And it's like, well, how does it feel to be like the one who has to get the double whammy? (laughs) You know, you pray about it and you, and the Lord's just convicting you and then you got to preach it again and you're preaching to yourself. It's like, we're all getting God's word and hopefully we're all out there living God's word. But notice another couple things. I just find this by way of observation. I think this verse sets a standard for spiritual leaders. Notice it says, remember those who have spoken the word of God to you. In other words, Pastors are to speak the word of God, not their own opinions or pet doctrines, but they're to faithfully exposit and expound the truth of God's word and God's heart to the people. And they are also to be examples of their own teaching, whose faith you follow. Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus, which means don't follow me if you don't see me following Jesus, 
But in the ways that you might see me following Jesus, let that be an example and encouragement to spur you on to love and to good works and obedience to the Lord. So to remember those who teach you and to listen to those who are instructing you in God's word, that's how you walk in the truth. Number two, you walk in the truth by maintaining doctrinal purity in your life by remembering the nature of Jesus. Verse eight tells us Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is, Jesus was, and Jesus will always be. He is eternal. His nature never changes. His truth never changes. His methods might vary from generation to generation, but the truth of Jesus and of God will always stay the same. Jesus was not one way 2,000 years ago, and now he's morphed and changed his mind and bent towards our culture or bent towards the opinions of humanity. And here's a helpful adage that I have found true. If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. Spiritually speaking, there is nothing, Solomon said, nothing new under the sun. Truth is truth, and it always has been. Lies are lies, and they always have been. Liberal Christian thought today wants a morphing, shape-shifting, build-your-own-Jesus who adapts his truth to the prevailing thoughts and philosophies of the current culture. That's the kind of Jesus most people want. I want Jesus, but like, what's that, build-your-own-bear workshop or something? You know, you order custom-made Jesus. I'll just go online and say I want Jesus who loves me, and I also want a Jesus who affirms my sin, and I want a Jesus who doesn't make me feel uncomfortable while giving me everything I need. Order. Self-made Jesus. No, that's not how it works. And we should all be glad that's not how it works. When the Bible tells us that we are being conformed into the image of his son, I'm really glad that that image never changes, that I'm the one who needs to change. I'm the one who needs to be transformed by the renewing of my mind into that picture of Christ. And it's by clinging to his unchanging truth that we become stable and anchored as the world around us is tossed to and fro as waves in a windy sea, as sand blown by the desert wind. The Bible tells us, do not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes Oh, that sounds so deep. Yeah, it might be so deep that you drown in it. Be careful. I just want to have an open mind. Don't be so open-minded that all your sense and logic falls out of your brain. Truth is truth. It's okay to be anchored in things that you know are true. Don't be allured by deep, spiritual, enlightened, you know, revelations of this super holy prophet guy who, I'm just going to stop And here, notice he describes the nature and folly of chasing after all the latest winds of doctrine. Verse 9 says, Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, and not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied by them. In other words, another three things. Sorry, my brain works in like numbered outlines, if you haven't figured that out yet. I just like, that's how I see it. But notice a few things here about false doctrine, false doctrines. And doctrine, it simply means, I'm doing a whole series on it, so I'm not going to go too in-depth today, but the teaching that informs the way we live is doctrine, truth or untruth about God and us. But 
False doctrines, notice number one, he tells us they are numerous and strange. In other words, there's no short supply of bad teaching about God. Even in the professing church, they're various, they are spread out, there are all sorts of wacky things that people want you to believe that they've invented about God and about yourself. And notice that they're also strange. If you're tuning into YouTube on some pastor's blog, or you go to some church, or you hear about some movement, and your initial response is, I don't know, that just seems unbiblically odd. Most likely, you're onto something. Now, we are a strange and peculiar people. To the world, Jesus is strange. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about strange as being outside the realm of biblical sense, of logic, of biblical truth. Strange. Something doesn't fit. Something doesn't jive. Something is unscriptural. Yes, it's because it is. And they are numerous and they are strange. Second thing about them is that they don't truly reflect God's grace. Notice it says, it is good for the heart to be established by grace. For the Hebrews... The desire to return back to the Mosaic Covenant and the Mosaic Law and the performance-based relationship with God, Paul says, is not accurately representing the grace of God, which has been revealed to all men. The grace of God, that Jesus is enough, that Jesus' death on the cross is enough to forgive all of your sins, to give you the merit and the righteousness you need to be right before God, Jesus' grace is enough. That's what grace is. It's unmerited favor. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's good for your heart to be established by grace and not by works. And false doctrine will abuse God's grace in two ways. Listen up. Stick with me. False doctrine will abuse God's grace in two ways. It will uproot a heart from being established in grace, either by legalism, which is man-made rules to get right with God. If any religion or movement is trying to get you rooted into their rules rather than saturating you with God's grace, it's dangerous. If you follow all of our standards, you meet all of our rules, you check off all of our lists, then you can be right with God and be part of our church. No, that's not rooted in grace. But the second way false doctrine abuses God's grace is to use God's grace as an excuse for sin. Well, God's so forgiving, God's so loving, you can basically do whatever you want. You can have free grace, cheap grace, and just, you know, do whatever you want. Don't feel too bad about it because you can ask for forgiveness and God will give you grace. Where the Bible says, the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us that by denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we are to live righteously and soberly in the present age. God's grace does not teach us that it's okay to sin because God is forgiving. God's grace teaches us that God is so good and so forgiving that we wouldn't want to sin, that we'd want to live lives of holiness. And so it is good for a heart to be established in grace, in understanding they can never earn their way to God. They can never do anything to impress God. They need Jesus, but also that because of God's grace, they can live lives that are holy and set apart unto God out of that gratitude of his salvation. And false doctrines want to uproot a person from the grace of God. And then finally, Notice that false doctrine focuses on unprofitable issues. False doctrine often focuses on unprofitable issues. Notice he says, 
It's good for the heart to be established with grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. I believe the context here would be the discussion of dietary laws and restrictions from the Jewish covenant that Paul's like, there are people going to hell. There's gospel that needs to be preached. There are needs going unmet in the world and in the church. And you guys are sitting around for hours arguing about whether or not you can eat that or not eat that. And then you go away from that discussion, not being the better for it, maybe just a little more puffed up in your own mind about how right you are and how much more you know theologically than that person. Paul says, that's not profitable. Don't waste your time arguing over petty issues that are not benefiting you, that are not causing other people to grow, that are not strengthening your faith, that are not causing you to get out there and love somebody or preach the gospel or do something that's meaningful. Now, this is not Paul saying that good, deep theological discussion on issues isn't vital, isn't important. He's saying there is false doctrine that will try to get you uprooted from the cross of Christ uprooted from the grace of God and get your eyes on all these peripheral issues that God is not really concerned about. And I think false doctrine does this a lot. I have had people knock on my door more times than I can count. Elder so-and-so, brother so-and-so. And you be led by the Spirit. But when Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons come to my door anymore, I don't engage with them. You might be called to that. You might be called to, but I don't engage with them because I have just spent way too many unprofitable hours of them trying to convince me about this and that and me challenging them on the grace of God and just confusion ensuing. Again, be led by the Spirit. God might have a divine appointment with you, but be careful not to just get wrapped up, wrapped up, wrapped up in nonstop arguments over issues that people have no intention on changing their heart towards. Rather, we ought to just be rooted and grounded in Christ and in his love and in his truth. And so as we come to a close of this passage, verse 10 really is a segue into the next section, but he is going to introduce us that we have a table, a better table that we can eat at than those who administer the old covenant. In other words, saying, they talk about food and this and that and all their rules, but we have the better table we go to. That's the table of God's grace, where we can freely eat. It's not about the religious regulations and rules, but it's about partaking of Christ. These two things, I think, are very practical. They hit home. To walk in contentment, to be satisfied with what God has provided, to remember that Jesus' presence, his provision, and his protection are enough, and to walk and continue in the better way that is the truth. To not be carried away by things that uproot us from the grace of God or that get us focused on unprofitable arguments or the third one that I said that you know because you were listening. <laughs> but chew on that. <laughs> no pun was intended there, no. <laughs> and let God's grace define your Christian life, your motive, your decisions. Let your conduct be without covetousness, walking in his truth. Just be careful because there's a lot of lies out there and I would, I would want to protect you from those things. This has been another edition of The Ascending Life, a ministry of Grace Calvary Church with Pastor Josh Blevins. 
Thanks for tuning in as we study the book of Hebrews together. If this teaching blessed you in any way, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 816-279-2090 and let us know more about you and what we can join you in prayer for. That number again is 816-279-2090. Or you can connect with us at theascendinglife.com. We're so glad you've been listening today to The Ascending Life, but we want to make sure this isn't your only source of spiritual nourishment. The Bible urges all of us to get involved in a local church, not just for the benefit of the body of Christ, but also for your growth on your own faith journey. If you live in or are visiting the St. Joseph area, we'd like to personally invite you to join us at Grace Calvary Church. We meet each Sunday at 8 and 10.30 a.m., and we'd love to have you join us. You can expect a time of fellowship, including worship and Bible study. For directions and more about Grace Calvary Church, visit our website at theascendinglife.com. Again, the website is theascendinglife.com. We hope to see you there. Our time with you today is coming to an end, but we're so glad you tuned in to today's message from Hebrews. Be sure to join Pastor Josh next time to learn more from God's Word, right here on The Ascending Life. Sin